Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. That was the eyebrow-raising statement that Vice President Kamala Harris made to a Baltimore audience last week. While the Biden White House amended the transcript to indicate that she intended to say reduce pollution, the environmentalist movement has more than its fair share of associations with those who would reduce population. Joining me to discuss Harris's comments and the connections between environmentalism and population control are my colleagues, Sarah Lee and Ken Braun. Uh, welcome back. Hi. Glad to be here. So uh, I guess we'll start with Ken. What do we make of Vice President Harris's apparent verbal flub? Uh, I'm willing to give her the benefit of doubt because um, that it was a flub because of so many flubs that she kind of puts out on a weekly or even more frequently basis. Uh, but uh, it, it is inadvertently the, an example of saying the quiet part out loud because the environmental movement, the climate uh, alarmist movement, and the left generally have had a fixation on population control going back, you know, about 100 years or so, if you want to really delve deep into this. And still in our Influence Watch database today, we have groups that um, still promote population control that are receiving tens of millions of dollars every year from some of the biggest foundations, um, uh, you know, private grant making foundations in the country. So it's it's not like it's a a dead letter at all. Um, still a very going concern, and she could have just as easily meant population control um, a, instead of pollution control, because a lot of these folks that we're talking we're about to talk about believe people really are the pollution. The the the, me, the meme is you are the you are the carbon they want to reduce. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so. What is let's? I guess we'll start with the history, just because chronological is easy. Uh, where where does this population control impulse in the environmentalist movement come from? So, if you want to go way back, uh, Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, and the Population Council, uh, still a an organization getting. I looked it up before here. Their most recent uh, tax return shows about a fifty eight million dollars in revenue for twenty twenty one I believe it was um, these groups had a very eugenics focus they wanted to reduce the number of uh, undesirable people from breeding people that were poor or in their opinions uh, intellectually feeble in some cases the wrong color or living in the wrong countries um, these groups obviously Planned Parenthood and Population Council still exist today. Um, we get up to the 1970s, or specifically 1968, Paul Ehrlich, um, a, a serially wrong individual who seems to keep following upward in his career, wrote the population bomb, which declared in 1968 the battle to feed humanity is over. Well, it was just beginning. We've more or less eliminated famines. You don't have a famine now unless you have basically communism. Right, you have to have... That's how bad your government has to be to induce a famine. Yeah, even wars sometimes have a hard time uh, killing people with hunger. Uh, They they manage in other ways. Uh, So, yeah, and and today's modern environmental movement, I can give you at least one uh, environmental nonprofit that is quite aggressively um, in favor of all forms of population control in order to 
keep us from crowding the planet, in their words, hogging the planet that should be available for um, uh, the other species. That would be the Center for Biological Diversity, whose idea of diversity is to have fewer people. Sarah, your thoughts? Oh, I have so many thoughts on this one. Um, you know, I'll start with a, a great quote that I saw on Twitter, actually, after she made her gaffe. I'm not sold on the idea that it was a gaffe, frankly. I think that they uh, just are <laughs> trying out trial balloons and um, not sure if the American public are going to be accepting of them. But Kamala has been known to throw out some gaffes, so maybe it was. But um, when it happened... Someone reminded me of this uh, great G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic uh, sort of philosopher, um, where he said the answer to anyone who talks about the surplus population is to ask him whether he is in the surplus population or if he is not, how he knows he is not. So I thought that was a really, (laughs) really great thing to say in that moment or to remind people of. Um, But, yeah, I think I look at the population control people the same way I look at the flat earthers, right? Um, They have this notion that the earth cannot sustain humanity um, when there's really no indication historically or otherwise that would give them that, you know, belief. So to me, they just seem like complete quacks. And what's interesting is that so many of the sort of uh, left side of the political um, divide, um, legitimate politicians and thinkers have adopted this idea, like you mentioned from Margaret Sanger on. So, I mean, some, I mean, some of it is just fascinating sort of mouth. I mean, some of it's just the sort of Malthusian timing question, you know, Malthus, the original sort of er philosopher of this Thomas Malthus, you know, early 19th century economist is writing sort of right before the industrial revolution you know, about the carrying capacity of agriculture in a pre-industrial world. And then, you know, he prints his book, it's published, you know, many you know, many influential people read it, and the Industrial Revolution happens and makes it completely, you know, puts that, lays it aside, supersedes it. You know, if you're Paul Ehrlich, you're writing, well, we can't out, you know, we're, we've hit the peak of, of uh, agricultural capacity, we can't feed you know, growing population in India, growing population in China, growing population in Africa, growing population in Latin America, uh, and even the, you know, population growth in the United States. And Norman Borlaug figures out how to, uh, you know, with plant genetics and, you know, new uh, agricultural methods, wins himself a Nobel Prize and feeds mm-hmm. a billion people. You know, the... So are, are you saying that, like, of, poverty and starvation specifically, are those the results of people not managing things correctly is that what you're suggesting <laughs> well, it's, well it's, i mean i mean yes and also that as we reach you know at least historically as we've reached these you know resource thresholds peak oil in the 1970s well and we found a lot more oil you know the as, as we reach these resource thresholds we find new ways to get what we need and to the, to the point at least in the post-industrial revolution yeah. era that we've God, we we have more than we need, and that's actually kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah, and 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 the the operative word you keep using is we. Who is we? Well, it's people. You know, the oil doesn't just find itself; it it pops up because there's brains on the planet that 
go and find yeah, it. Somebody, I, I, somebody goes looking for it. And build it used to be. Get it. <laughs> right. I mean, 2,000 years ago, oil was something that screwed up great farmland as the Roman, you know, legions were marching across it. They were, you know, that, and now it's, it's this, you know, world-consuming resource that, that everybody, you know, seeks and finds and gets wealthy from. Um, and and er- Ehrlich, um, you mentioned Norman Borlaug. There's a... There, I have a personal axe to grind with the Ehrlich history. Um, in 2006, Paul Ehrlich was invited as a commencement speaker to my alma mater, Michigan State University, which is was founded as Michigan Agricultural College. It is one of the many institutions in this country that can claim some reasonably heroic credit for implementing Norman Borlaug's genius and and feeding the world, and yet we brought this clown, Paul Ehrlich, there in 2006 and welcomed him with a a greeting that referred to him as an eminent ecologist, environmental scientist, known for pioneering research on global overpopulation, which I would say, yeah, the Donner Party were pioneers (laughs) as well. I mean, that's not a... There are too many of us on this trek across the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and this reminds me of to to switch metaphors here. uh, A famous, infamous, more or less, um, and Michigan State former coach as well, uh, Daryl Rogers, coached the Detroit Lions, and one year was his final year. Things were going really poorly, and and Rogers, who was very good with a quip, said, "I don't know what's a guy." You know, he, he was asked by a reporter how long you think you need to be sticking around with these results he said i don't know what's a guy got to do to get fired around here and i think that applies to paul ehrlich who after he wrote his population bomb went up against the famous bet with uh, economist julian simon who wrote a book called the ultimate resource which referred to people being the ultimate resource it was the diametric opposition to what ehrlich was saying simon bets him in a famous bet he said Paul, you and your clown buddies pick the commodities, and we're going to have a bet as to whether those are going to go up or down in net asset value over, I forget what the period was. Um, it was a wipeout. Ehrlich, Ehrlich picked, the, picked the commodities, and they all, you know, on average declined significantly in value, proving Simon's point that people are the ultimate resource. We turn things on this planet into other things, and the more people we have, the more brains we have on that problem the more we, we, we convert things into I'm pretty, I'm other stuff. Sure, I'm pretty sure that very argument has been made by Elon Musk. Yeah, and I, I have a question, yeah. actually, speaking of, you know, sort of these standards you're talking about, overpopulation. What's perfect population? Do we have a standard that we measure that by? Of course we don't. That's a, that's a silly question. What, what, whatever... Whatever you can pay for in your own household is, I think, the perfect standard. You know, we're going to have people are going to reduce the number of children they have as soon as children cease to become an a, a, a net asset value, um, you know, an appreciating asset in a household and become, I don't want to say a luxury good, but just a biologically happy thing to do. I mean, right now in poor countries that don't have energy, we can talk about how the energy restrictions figure into the population control. If you don't have energy, then people have to do all the physical labor. So you need to create a lot of people. You need to have a lot of children to do the work on the farm and, and, and whatever else happens in your household. 
if you've got a lot of energy and wealth, you don't. (laughs) It's interesting you bring up what the demographers call the demographic transition uh, Mm -hmm. from sort of pre, not necessarily pre-industrial, but like early industrial development, you know, when people are having uh, a lot of kids and to now what you might call post-industrial, like, you know, for the past, I want to say five, 10 years, the United States, which had been sort of one of the last holdouts above the replacement level has dipped below. Uh, Europe's been below the replacement threshold for decades. Uh, East Asia, uh, like, you know, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, like South Korea, I think is below one child per woman. Mm-hmm. Even uh, China's going and, backwards. And, yeah, yeah. And China and China, thanks to their one child policy and the su- successors to the one child policy, you know, is in this weird demographic position where it's getting old before it gets rich. And you know, mm-hmm. what's and those interesting things, too and those things that were... is that, you know, there, weirdly, what Ken, what you just said about, um, you know, humans do things to make things happen on this planet, right? Um, they, the, the, the population control people would agree with you. They're trying to do that by reducing the population. I think if it were left to its own devices, people would just naturally do what they do, but they're trying to control it. So it's this weird, that's the other thing that's weird about it, I think, to people is that it's this, you know, we can't be left to our own devices. You can't be left to your own devices. We must control things because we think that uh, being left to your own devices, things will get out of hand. It's just a weird, it's a People are the yeah. pollution, yeah. And and to be precise, the people make we, we make wealth out of nothing, resources, oil, you know, you can turn sil- you know, sand a, into silicon a, chips. If and- you're a if you're a saber toothed tiger, oil is something that you outside of Los Angeles that if you step in it you die. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be a person and or be humanity and, you know, build machines and know what you're doing with it. A group I've been looking at recently, and they're not specifically a population control group, but they might as well be because of their um, their history and who, who – it's the Rocky Mountain Institute. It's now a $100 million a year revenue operation. Best, best known perhaps for being the people who want to ban gas stoves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, and, and you, you, can, you can go – I mean, Rocky Mountain Institute's donors are – um, Bezos, Bloomberg, all of the big, you know, foundations, but, you know, but including like British Petroleum, Shell, major airlines, major banks, the, the like. Um, so their founder is a guy named Amory Lovins, who is, has been credited by uh, Michael Schellenberger and a couple other people as the kind of the godfather of converting the environmental movement against nuclear energy. And because Amory, back in an essay he wrote in 1970, very influential essay for Foreign Policy Magazine, I think it was, said, well, it would be nothing short of disastrous if humanity found a source of abundant, functionally limitless, cheap, clean energy because of what we would do with it, which is effectively meaning turning the world to, you know, increasing our resources, increasing our population. And uh, that attitude, the, the, the synthesis between reducing energy consumption, reducing wealth, and reducing people, they're all, they're all related. Even groups that don't claim to be um, population control freaks 
really are when they're when they're looking when their their absolute goal is implicitly to reduce energy consumption because energy consumption is what keeps people from having well, to do all the Well, unless they want to go soil right, green as people meme. and use the people as the energy consumption. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, there's been this meme floating around Twitter, you know, since the middle of this week, you know, somebody, you know, it's like from ancient Egyptian chariot to, you know, a 17th century carriage you know this took 1500 years and then from the carriage to the you know to the stealth fighter this took 200 years what happened and you know the answer is well in 1800 we figured out how to harness coal to make steam mm-hmm. uh, and we've and we've been you know developing it from there and, uh, and took brains off of farms and put them to work to more productive things than pushing a tractor or, i mean or refined pushing a tractor you mean you mean or, but not a tractor no yeah, pushing mean, a plow you mean, yeah. you mean driving you mean driving oxen yeah. or, or yes, yes, get those yeah. grains on the farms because let's face it until we figure out again i'm going to say soil it green as people if you don't know that reference it's a joke <laughs> but um learning how to refine the processes on a farm i mean that's the thing about people we don't necessarily innovate outside of uh, you know a certain industry we innovate within yeah. it um your soylent, yeah, your soylent green joke reminded me of something else. Um, a lot of these, popu- the Population Council, Planned Parenthood, uh, they they begin as as we you know as I said at the beginning here, as eugenics groups. They wanted to reduce certain sorts of populations, as, as your Chesterton, Chester's, Chesterton, yeah, Chesterton. cannot say it. Chesterton quote implied. Um, today they're pushing for the same objectives except they're not using the eugenic message anymore they're you know it's family planning it's providing access to abortion i mean no one should be against an individual family planning how big it is um a group that's making an overall policy of it that has a history of doing the same work except that work was meant for a much darker stated purpose but now they've come up with a new excuse for doing the same work i you know i i, I color me skeptical but it it kind of reminds me of you know if, if i were if i were told that oj simpson was now just a really good murder mystery novelist i you know, I, I wouldn't be applauding saying oh good he's putting his skills to good use you know well how much do we think so here's my question since we started with you know the vi- the, the vp's gaffe how much do we think, and, and on the subject, just if I could digress just a second, on the subject of the eugenics movement, um, in one of the pieces I was rereading to prep for this, written by our former colleague um, Hayden Ludwig, um, he, he has a quote in one of his pieces that, I can't remember who said it, but they said that eugenics was the first real success that philanthropy had, right? Which is a crazy, scary thing when you think about it, and it's continued on that in that realm, and of course, environmentalism, um, and 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 then this issue of, pop, of population control comes into all of it too. But how much do we think that the progressive uh, legislators, um, thought leaders, things like that, how much do we think they actually do want to control the population? Was this a gaffe, or is this really something they're still really gunning for? A dozen years ago, speaking to a women's group, forget where, Al Gore in his never-ending quest to come up with some way to, you know, shoehorn his agenda into everything, suggested that, you know, one one important way of 
preventing global warming is population control. I mean, you know, population reduction. I mean, that that they're it. It's a scary thing to say because of all of its its implications of of past nastiness. But I don't think it's too far below the surface. So I I, I wouldn't say with a hundred percent certainty that Kamala Harris misspoke. Um, but she may have been channeling something she'd heard once or twice is, is I think a, a charitable, uh, a, still a charitable, but possible explanation. I'm, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a movement, especially again, among more environmentally quote unquote, environmentally conscious, you know, young people, you know, that, Oh, we're, we're not having kids because of the climate or we're not having kids because of the environment. And I maybe question this, question some of the sincerity of those statements. I mean, you know, kind of everybody knows that being a parent is difficult. And, you know, do you really want to do a difficult thing, especially if, I mean, people are getting married later. People are, you know, it, you know, you, there's, there's been this whole, like, you know, masculinity discourse. And I think the kind of the thing that's largely gone unmentioned in it is, have the mechanisms, especially after we, you know, shut down bars and colleges, you know, on-campus college uh, for two years, you know, the the ways that, you know, young people, you know, pair off and explore finding potential partners, you know, to the extent that that has broken down, uh, you know, if, if it kind of almost doesn't matter if Vice President Harris you know, wants to, or, or, you know, these big philanthropies want to uh, be in the population control game because the, they're pushing against an open door. The, the, as, as we meant, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the birth rate is down, Uh, you know, kind of the only pockets of, of it not being down are, you know, traditionalist religious communities where people still get married young and have lots. So what are the consequences then practical reality? What are the consequences of that? Are we looking at, you know, the sort of, I mean, people think we're dumbing down in general as, you know, as human beings, we're getting dumber, right? They, they blame it on the internet. They blame it on social media, things like that. Um, Poor education. Uh, Certainly in this country, we've seen a lot of that. But is it reasonable to think that population changes actually affect those things? I don't know the answer, but it occurs to me that could be true. Well, I, on a different tangent, I think it is a problem that we don't keep up with replacement rates. And most immediately, we have a welfare state that is conditioned on the Ponzi scheme of population always increasing. Um and and long range, as we've discussed, people are good things to have. So, and I think, I mean, we're, we're being justifiably hard on, on a lot of these uh, left-leaning foundations and nonprofits that are promoting this nonsense, but the right does bear some responsibility for this. Uh, the, the, what is generally couched in an opposition to breaking the law, illegal immigration, conspicuously from the right-leaning side of the spectrum, conspicuously never really gets around to telling us, well, what kind of immigration program should we have? I mean, should, it's, inter- you know, it's interesting you bring up immigration in this discussion of population control because among the big foundations that, 
you know, is supportive of population controls, the Colcom Foundation, which is also a big funder of the immigration restriction movement. Mm -hmm. And and another guy that we should not uh, let go here, a a 90 plus year old billionaire named Fred Stanback in North Carolina, who has probably pumped somewhere between half a billion and a billion dollars into all of the groups we've discussed and groups such as Numbers USA, the immigration restriction groups, anti-nuclear groups, Planned Parenthood, the whole thing. Fred is a kooky dude who just pretty much hates people. <laughs> Whitney Houston said she believes children are the uh, the future. Fred thinks they're the pollution and, and, and has funded a lot of stuff like this. And yeah, Numbers USA is generally, at least in past years, had more of a friendly reception among Republican politicians. Um, we, we need more folks immigrating into this country. Um, we need to figure out you know, what standard we're going to use to do that. And it's unfortunate that the debate is only about how, how, how the people are coming here because there's no real easy way to get in. They, they, you know, take the difficult ways to get in. And there's no, and, and there's a, this sort of peril, paralyzing situation where, you know, the Democrats really want to increase the amount of, of immigration. So they just don't enforce immigration law and at least a faction of the Republicans want to, uh, you know, reduce immigrate at least the, you know, legal plus illegal immigration. Uh, they want to reduce that. So they want to keep the laws that aren't working on the books so that they can then, quote unquote, enforce them, uh, at least until that causes them. to. Well, one of the things that I think is, interesting is, you know, and I want to clarify what I said earlier, and it's ties into this uh, immigration issue. And I look at it, this is a weird way to look at it, but I look at it in terms of filmmaking and entertainment. People are complaining about how it's all just remakes, da, da, da. Well, maybe that's because there's no, the, the number of brains available has decreased, right? And that's what I mean when I say, are we getting dumber because we're not having as many children? Um, there, the number of potential brains to help fix or build or grow has dwindled, um, so this is taking a tangent on another issue, but the Hollywood writers' strike, I just saw a statistic uh, last night. Apparently, uh, 1993, there were something like less than 300 scripted TV shows. There's now like over 900. So, but they're on streaming, you know, we're, which we're, is, I mean, that whole writer strike thing is a, a different thing. Well, yeah, thing. I'm just saying there's... There's you're you're getting a lot of remakes of stuff because it'd a be, lot of more like it, stuff yeah, is coming but, out. But it's, it's not like, original. It'd be stuff. like if Major League Baseball it'd be like if Major League Baseball expanded to ninety teams. Yep. Like all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people who would be playing in double A or supposedly in the major leagues and a lot of teams are. Right, oh my god. Let me say this. Let me say this. Oh my god, more errors. Yeah. And, and it's related to the entertainment and also to this general discussion on population. Somebody pointed out that the one of the problems with the writer's strike, one of the problems with the lack of original content uh, in Hollywood, a lot of it is on streaming. There's some really good stuff on streaming. Um, so that that that's true. But it's that they're not telling original stories. And so let's link that to say immigration. 
we're not getting original screenplays on the Mexican immigrant coming to the United States, what that might be like. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's what I mean. Like the, the way to innovate and grow this country, we say it all the time on the right, you know, we're a country, we're a nation of immigrants. We are. And look what happened to us. So, and, and I don't mean that to sound, you know, Pollyanna-ish on immigration. What I mean to say is that there were different brains, different parts of the world, different influences, things like that. And I do think we get dumber when we try to control those things. Well, I I mean, you see it with these, uh, you know, like the people in Hamtramck. Ken, you're you're from Michigan. You can correct me on my, because I am going to botch the pronunciation of this town. Hamtramck? Ham, ham, tramic, tramp, tramic, tramic is how it's said. It's it's Polish, and yeah, or uh, the name is Polish. The town's not so much anymore, but yeah. Well, so so you know their city, you know their majority Muslim city council, you know, voted to to take down LGBTQ flags and just to restrict the the flying of flags from government buildings to the flags of the of the government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you agree you know, you with have, that, that's a different right. take on it right now. Right. It's it's a yeah. different take. I mean, what we, we're seeing in, so in Montgomery County, Maryland, just outside D.C., you have, uh, you know, the, like, small population of conservatives, the uh, traditionalist Muslim community, and an Ethiopian community who are Orthodox, Orthodox Christian, you know, and they are protesting a policy by the very liberal city uh I have the school board of the city council there uh, that would require that would take away the opt out for certain sex ed programs. So, you know, as, as you have more people of more backgrounds, there are, it's, it's not as easy as the emerging democratic majority theory where, you know, you just add more people and they're in a demographic, a democratic demographic column. Therefore Democrats win forever. It all gets, it all gets, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it, there's there's a push and pull. And it's really good. That's, yeah, what and the whole, that's what our system of government was built upon. And, and the, the it wasn't too long ago, it wasn't too long ago that the big labor movement, before it really declined, you know, while, while, it, while still like 20% of us were, union members back in the 80s the i I think it was back in the 80s might have been a little further back um the domestic the private sector unions were opposed to immigration because of the uh the the threat that it would reduce wages and the like recall correctly the afl flipped in 2000 on on immigration oh that recent wow again in the 90s there was you know, the Clinton administration had that commission, you know, chaired by a wow. congresswoman huh. who, you know, that proposed uh, an immigration. Barbara Jordan, right? Barbara Jordan, yeah. yeah. And, and immigration restrictions. So, you know, that that was a that was a recent, a re, well, relatively these days, recent change. I I was giving them too much credit. I thought it was more more back in history. I wow. <laughs> so so you're telling me I was on the right side of gay marriage and immigration before. <laughs> All demo- before the unions and and you most know of the why people that's running Truken? because oftentimes people who are you know before you know they weren't on that side and they come out on it later it's political you did it out of your conscience which makes you a good guy. <laughs> 
Oh, well, that, yeah, I, right. I guess. I know you hate to hear that. <laughs> I, I like to say no. As much fun as we're having, and as much fun as we're having, I think this does have to be brought to an end. Uh, Ken, uh, do you have anything you'd like to promote before we break? Uh, I would encourage anyone listening who wants to just kind of look into more on the uh, the history of, of population control and left-leaning uh, climate alarmist groups um, should look at our uh, Influence Watch page and look at some profiles such as uh, the Foundation for the Carolinas, um, Fred Stanback, Center for Biological Diversity, Paul Ehrlich, Population Council, a group called uh, Population Connection, formerly Zero Population Growth, founded by the previously mentioned Paul Ehrlich, and a guy named John Holdren, one of Ehrlich's co-authors on some books, who was President Obama's science advisor, um, is also a population control nut, um, and more. We should probably have a, a hub for population control and like put the vice president's or picture Ehrlich. on it or something. Now. I can tell but, you're uh, a big, big yeah. fan of Paul Ehrlich. Ehrlich is probably more worthy. Sarah, anything you'd like to you'd like to promote before we break? No, just uh, you know, always check out capitalresearch.org. Uh, we've got anything and everything um, you want to see there. And also for anybody who might li- be listening, if there are issues that you think we should be covering, I mean, obviously our bailiwick is looking at uh, you know nonprofits and following the money and looking at publicly available tax information and things like that. But if there are things you think we need to cover, you can always reach out to me. Um, you can find my contact information on the website. So I want to throw that out there. All right. Well, thanks again to my colleagues, Sarah Lee and Ken Braun, for joining. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.